Hey, this is Steve Patterson, and you're listening to the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast on whatever you're listening to it on. Did you know that Yuck Yucks can help you raise thousands of dollars for your charity, club, or organization? Just go to yuckyucks.com and click on fundraising. Be sure to visit us at www.yuckyucks.com. Twitter. Twitter. And follow us on Twitter using hashtag YYCP. What is going on, my little yuckamaniacs? This is your host, Jake Hirsch. Welcome to the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast, in case you accidentally uh, push play on this thing. Yes, this is me. This is the show where we get to interview the most fascinating people, the most entertaining, the most hilarious, the most the most goddamn beautiful people all across Canada. We get to interview them right here on the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. This week, I decided to do a little, uh, little, uh, you know how they put the hashtag on their Throwback Thursday or Flashback Friday, or this is going to be Way Back Wednesday, because uh, let me just give you a quick backstory on this one. Last week, I was with, uh, as many of you guys know, the machine, Bert Kresher, and uh, very, very great interview. I got a lot of accolades. A lot of people uh, had messaged me on that. A lot of people came up to me and said, hey, man, that was a great podcast, great show. And it was. It truly was. Uh, so I just want to say thank you again to Mr. Burt Kresher for uh, coming on the show, gracing us with a full hour of his time. Uh, but also, uh, I uh, we were talking in the interview about having a mutual friend of ours, Mr. Brant Tobler. And I thought, you know what? What better way to have a good excuse to play an interview that I got to do uh, back uh, last year with Mr. Brant Tobler. And I thought I would share it with you because uh, obviously uh, that connection that I had there with uh, with Bert uh, talking about uh, Brant and it got me thinking, this guy, uh, oh man, I drove home that night and I was just like, you know what? I should totally get Brant Tobler back on the show or just play the interview for you guys so you can check it out. And he's a Vegas based comic. His backstory is just, it's just hilarious. Great, great story. He's got a Mike Tyson story that will like, like this guy's inspiration of like Zach Galifianakis is uh, from the hangover. Incredible story. Anyway. Uh, yes. Also quick update. We are in the first round of the semifinals for the Yuck Yucks comedy uh, amateur competition. Another fantastic evening with uh, just great, great talent. And, and again, uh, a hat off to uh, all the uh, competitors out there that uh, get up and try it out. And even if you're not, you move through to the second round, whether you uh, are not successful in winning the competition, you're getting better. Trust me. There's some performers that I have had the pleasure of seeing uh, a year ago. And there's some that I saw again tonight. And there was some I saw last night that absolutely blew me away. And, uh, uh, you know, they always say, uh, you know, Oh, comedy, something you have, or you don't have, or, you know, you have to have a knack for it. Yes, that is true. I agree with that a hundred percent, but I also think that you can get better at it the more you do it and the more uh, time and effort and passion you put into it, it it's showing and it's paying off. So uh, keep doing what you're doing, everybody that is competing and also the ones that are, um, you know, going up there for the first time and, and, uh, and, and trying things out and, and doing competitions and stuff. It's not easy. Get up there and get critiqued and to get talked to and to get laughed at or uh, hopefully, you know, with you, but, uh, it's not easy is what I'm trying to say. So, uh, my hat's off to you guys and, uh, ladies who, who are doing that. 
All right, let's go talk to my boy, Brant Tobler. In, uh, in Cheyenne, Wyoming, uh, it's pretty small. I mean, it's the capital of Wyoming, but it's a, it's a small, like fifty thousand town. Right? Is isn't there like a and, military base or something over there? Yeah, there's an air force base, that's and right. uh, that's about it, really. The railroad. <laughs> not much going on there. I mean, I love it. It's home, but uh, right. Not not much going on. <laughs> what was that like growing up for you? Like, what did your parents do? Uh, my, well, my dad, uh, my dad went to college when I was five, right. which is what my mom called, which is actually prison. So, uh, <laughs> my dad was in prison. Shut up, dude. Are you serious? Time. Yeah, but my mom told us that he was in college and then he would get out on a spring break sometimes and come see us and then go back and work on his master's program, I guess. So my, my father. <laughs> dude, you're killing me, man. <laughs> My father was in prison the whole time I was a kid, and then my mom uh, and my stepdad. My my mom was a secretary for my grandfather who owned a appraisal business, and then he hired my stepdad, and then my stepdad hit on my mom, the secretary, and they ended up getting married. So no way. Pretty uh, pretty pretty cool. <laughs> That's crazy, man. Did your dad eventually get out or what? Yeah, so my dad would get out. Uh, you know, every couple of years, well, I'd see him for a little bit, and then he would, then he'd be gone again. So he, uh, you know, he would just come to town, which was cool. I mean, it was bad in hindsight, right? But he was coming to spoil the shit out of us. So he <laughs> he wasn't even really like a dad. He was just like this cool dude who'd come to town and then just buy us. You know, because he always had drug money. He was a drug dealer, so right. when he would show up. I mean, I remember times when I'm like 10 years old and he'd take me to the mall and I got like a fitted hat. I actually got a, my favorite Montreal Expos hat. And I, I remember being like 10 and he, I had $200 right. inside my hat because I didn't have pockets, you know? So right. I was just like, I don't know why I had, you know, so then I'd just go to the convenience store and buy stuff for all my friends. <laughs> so you were, you were straight pimping when you were like 13. Oh, man. Yeah, not girl. Every dentist in, in Cheyenne owes me because I must have bought so much candy for every kid. <laughs> so does candy, so. Oh, so it was, man. I mean, it, so he would come and then, and then he eventually, uh, and I, after, at like 12, then he took off for, uh, I never saw him until uh, later in life, and he came back into my life when I was, I lived in uh, Phoenix, and I just got a letter one day in the mail saying, uh, from my dad saying, Hey, I'll be at the Phoenix airport in like three days. And I haven't seen you in forever, but I'd love to see you. Holy shit. I didn't have time to like write back. It was just, you know, so I, for a couple of days, I just, cause when I got the letter, I couldn't even open it. I was like nervous to open it. Cause I just, it just, it was just weird, you know? Right. And then, uh, right. so I decided to go to the airport and then my dad, uh, then I saw my dad, which is the weirdest thing because I didn't, I didn't know what my dad looked like cause mm -hmm. I hadn't seen him and stuff. I was literally walking around the airport, like looking in hotel bars, like, is that my dad or is that my dad? Or Damn, that? that's crazy. 
I came around the corner and there's a dude with a ponytail and a wife beater. I was like, yep, there's my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Out of prison. So, oh, shit. And then he, uh, then he didn't tell me he was leaving. So I talked to him for like 45 minutes in the airport and then he flew to Vegas and, uh, he told me I could come to Vegas and visit whenever. And then, I literally drove home that day, and I called my two best friends in Wyoming, and they also didn't really have dads, and I told them everything that happened, and uh, then my dad invited us to come out. Right. I'd never been to Vegas, so neither of my buddies, so that was it. The, like two days later, they drove down, picked me up in Phoenix, we drove to Vegas, and we stayed with my dad, and my dad somehow was dating this cocktail waitress right out of prison. Right. Living in this trailer with all these crazy people, and we drove right to Vegas, and... uh we hung out with my dad for like three or four days and like an idiot. He told us we could all move there and live with him. And me and my buddies wanted to be, they had this pirate show at the Treasure Island back then. Right. They had pirates in front of the casino and they did live action like pirate fights. And uh, like idiots, we all dropped out of college to move to Vegas to be pirates. <laughs> Dude, that's the best story ever, man. Never got, I didn't understand how, like, you know, first of all, I didn't have pirate muscles or anything, a parrot or anything. I, just, I guess I was really skinny back then, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know why we thought we could just show up and be like, hey, we want to be pirates. They said, well, then go get on the ship. You know, it didn't work like that. So, These are actual like, performers. <laughs> yeah, very talented, like, scripted performances. So, like, uh, how long did it, <laughs> besides your failed pirate career, how, how long did it take, like, how long did you guys last over at your dad's crib with, like, that house full of hooligans? Well, shit, we stayed there for a little bit, and then, well, my dad would always, we'd always get kicked out because my my dad's uh, girlfriend would get mad at my dad because they were just drunk, so they would, my dad would never work, so right. the, the cocktail waitress would make all the money, and then my dad would piss her off, and we'd get kicked out, we'd have to go stay in these, uh, weekly hotels just in the ghetto which was just awful just full of like drug dealers and pimps and like idiot foreigners that didn't realize you know they just saw like a 199 a week in vegas and they bought these awful hotels they weren't anywhere near the strip so right we'd go in and out of there and then eventually my two boys uh they end up moving back home and i ended up working in this little casino at night uh counting money which is the worst when you're broke i just had to count, i had to take all the money out of the machines and count it and i would just sit there and try to figure out a way to rob it but they, i couldn't because there's too many cameras so i just had to sit there and count like change and dollars all night it sucked holy shit man it was from like 11 at night to like 6 a.m it was the worst damn that is crazy when did you start getting the bite for uh, comedy though like cause i know you started hitting like the open mic scene right and uh, well yeah no I, this was like I wanted to do it when I lived in Phoenix, but I, did, I just didn't know how, you know, because right. growing up in Wyoming, there's no comedy clubs or anything. Right. I, I just didn't even, it wasn't people, you know, you probably talk to comics and they're always like, this is what I knew I wanted to do since I was 10. Like, right. that's not, I didn't even, I want to be a pro basketball player. I thought I was going to be Steve Nash or something. I spent my whole life, I was just naturally funny, but I never knew I could do anything with it. And right. then when I lived in Phoenix, my buddy was like, you should be a stand-up comedian. I like got a book and I read this book, but I didn't, I still didn't know what to do. Like, I guess I should have went to the comedy clubs or something. So I didn't do it. And then I moved to Vegas and then I still didn't do it in Vegas forever. I just kept chickening out and chickening out. And then, uh, 
eventually one day I just invited enough people and had a few beers and I, there was no backing out. And then uh, luckily it went good the first time. And then after I did it once, I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Forever. Do you remember what like your first like couple of bits were? Uh, they were just dumb shit. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, just dumb. I, you know, actually they weren't, actually my first couple of bits weren't bad because I, I had chickened out for so long. I really wrote a lot of material, right? uh, getting ready, but you know, I have a video of it. Do I you gotta, really? I got to get, uh, made into like a DVD and then I'll put it on my website or something. Cause now I'm curious to just see how, uh, when it's embarrassing, I think there's jokes that I'd still do right now from my very first time <laughs> i need to watch it to make sure i quit doing them but well the funny part because i, cause I mean joke. like because I, like, I mean like for myself like when i when i write comedy like i'm not a stand-up comedian or anything but like you know i'm more of like the written word comic uh-huh. but like for me i'll like my notes on my on my iphone is just fully stocked with just observational shit that i come across and i just write stuff down and then I'm like sitting there afterwards and I'm like ignorant enough to be like, dude, I can do like my own one hour HBO special. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it takes, I mean, it, it takes a lot, right? To form all that stuff and, and yeah. create storylines with it, right? Yeah, yeah, I do. That's yeah, the same thing. I write down stuff into my notepad and then you just never know because sometimes I think something will be like great and then it'll bomb and then sometimes I'll just be stumbling around on stage and I'll say something and then the crowd will really like it and I'll be like, oh, I didn't even you think that was a joke, you know? So right. a lot of just tampering with like, uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure once you're a funny person, you got a good idea what's going to be funny. But then as, as absurd as it is, sometimes it's just like changing one word, right? Which is like, so you, I'm sure everything you think is funny is funny. And, but then sometimes it's the way you say it sometimes. So right. sometimes I'll be like, Oh, that's, I just did it. Just one simple word is wrong, or one description, and then it's like, then the joke hits. I'm like, oh, yeah, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how long did you stick around counting money for this for this place? Like, because eventually so, you started working for like a professional gambler. Right? Yeah. So I was. I, I hated that job counting money in the middle of the night, and I wanted to go home because I had a girlfriend back home I was in love with, and. uh I used to play basketball at this gym, and when I got to Vegas, there was only really one gym that you could play basketball in uh, because it was so hot out. So I just signed up for this gym, which I had no business signing up for because it was like $100 a month, which was super expensive. But somehow the bank sent me a credit card with a $5,000 credit limit, which I had no – it was just like a miracle. So I used that card to get a membership, and – even then, I knew it's like all about who you know in life. So I wanted to be around these rich dudes, but I had no idea what they were doing, you know. And right. uh, I thought that I thought it might be somebody who would get me that stupid pirate job at Treasure Island or something. <laughs> and then uh, one day I started talking to. But then at lunchtime, it was all professional gamblers, right? And they were like cool dudes. And I, at the time, I'm like 21, 22, so I was really good at basketball. So the gamblers would start to put me on their team because they wanted to win. And then I became friends with the one gambler dude and then i'd always ask him hey give me some games to bet and he would tell me don't bet you know don't do it right and i wore him down and then one day he was like all right i'm gonna give you four games you know bet these games you know don't don't go crazy or anything don't tell anybody else that i told you these games and i was like okay and then i immediately ran home and i called my dad 
I was like, Dad, we got the fucking games. <laughs> we're we're going to be millionaires. <laughs> so, like, idiots, me and my dad took it. So I'd saved up this money to move home to be with my girlfriend. And then right. my dad had whatever money he had. Then my dad got all the money he could from his cocktail waitress girlfriend because this millionaire professional gambler gave us these games they had to win. You could already imagine what happened. So we bet those four games, and all four of those games lost. And, uh, oh, my God. So we lost all our money, and my dad, his girlfriend wanted to kick us out of the house, but she couldn't because we just literally had no money. <laughs> so I had to go back to working all the hours I could count money at that shitty casino. And then, uh, Damn. and then I finally one day went back to the gym, and, and the guy saw me, and he's like, hey, man, you bet those games? And I was like, yeah. He goes, was it bad? I was like, yeah. And then he goes, you know, I'm sorry. He goes, we lost our ass that day, too. And then he's just like, you want to come to lunch with us? Because the gamblers always went to lunch together. And I was like, cool. You know, and at that time, I had no money because I lost all. So I just wanted a free lunch. <laughs> and I, he, so I went to lunch. And then he's, then at one point, he's like, you want a job? I go, um, I'm going to move back home. And he goes, nah, man, you want this job. He pretty much just told me, I, you work for me now. And I was like, I didn't really know what was going on. He's like, you go with Tony today. And I went with this dude, Tony, which I thought was so cool because he had a BMW. I'd never rode in a BMW. Right. You know, I'm like, this is a kid from Wyoming. <laughs> Most of the money I ever had was like $800. And they took me, he took me down to the strip and I'll never forget. He took me to Bally's Casino and he, he handed me $20,000 and he said, go in and bet this on Duke uh, in football. Shit. And this is like 1999 or 2000 probably when, and Duke is like the they were the worst football team in the world. And I told the dude, I go, why would we bet this? They're gonna get killed. And right. the dude's like, let me tell you one thing: just always do what you're told. So I went in there and I bet twenty thousand on Duke. I was so scared, my hands were shaking. I had ten thousand in each front pocket, and I was like scared. And I went up and uh, told the guy, can I have Duke? You know? And the dude looked at me like I was just some dumbass kid on college. And then uh, I was like, uh, for 20000 And then they were like, what? <laughs> so then I bet it. And then Duke got, they got killed in that game, of course. It lost. But then uh, from that day on, so then I started training with Tony for like two weeks. And then uh, then I was on my own. Then I pretty much every day I would go down there and bet. And I always had $100,000 with me because they would send me out in the middle of the night. Or it was like on, you'd work like, uh, I'd work like, We'd go to the gym every day and play basketball, and we'd go to lunch, and I'd go down the strip and bet from, like, 3 to, like, 8. But Damn, then if something dude. happened at night or something, I was always on call. So, and like, they the would just call you? So, they, like, they would just be like, hey, we've got the line on this game. We need you to go down to this casino and bet? Yeah. Yeah, well, I had a Nextel thing, and it would just come across in a beep, like, beep, beep, go bet, you know, whoever. Holy shit. And I'd run and do it. But then he'd call me sometimes because we'd try to do sneaky stuff in the middle of the night or, like, when something <laughs> – it was very sneaky business because if you had an edge, you didn't want. Because there was other teams of runners on the strip. So right. it would come across the next toe and be like, uh, bet the Denver Broncos minus three, go. And then, I'd, and then I'd bet at whatever casino I was at, and then I'd try to run to another casino and bet it before someone else did, before the line moved. So. Damn, man, that is crazy. And it was crazy because the, so the first couple months, so when my boss hired me, his partner was out of town for for like a week and then, they thought I was an FBI plant. My the other boss right. didn't trust me because he's like, "Oh, well, you're telling me this broke ass kid just shows up at your hundred dollar a month gym. This kid has no money. He does nothing, and, and now he's we're gonna hire him because they, my bosses have gotten trouble before. Right. <laughs> so for like the first month, I had to spend every night with my bosses, which was cool because we just went out to these fancy dinners and shit, and and then 
my other boss was, uh, you know, he was grilled me about my life. And then after like a month, he's like, this guy's retarded. He's not FBI. He's just a dumbass kid that works for us now, you know? So, so he's like trying to catch you slipping. Yeah. Yeah. So he'd ask me all these questions and stuff and like get in hindsight, give me like weird hugs, like pat down my back or something. I was like, dude's kind of, but then when they told me later, I was like, well, that's absurd. But then he's, uh, but then he's like, uh, then he realized I was fine. So then after that, it was on every day. I, uh, I, w- I would go, I mean, I bet every day it was a dream job. Cause then I bet so much money that I get comps at all the hotels. So right. I got to, you know, I just get to be a big shot. And my friends from Wyoming would come and, you know, they're like me. They'd never seen more than like a thousand dollars. And I'd take them to these thousand dollar dinners and stuff. So it was like, it was like the dream job, honestly, cause I'm a huge sports fan. And, uh, my boss was like the coolest and it was just, it was the best, you know, I, Damn, I couldn't have been man. happier. So like, tell me the, the chick situation at this point. I mean, you're rolling around with a hundred G's in your pocket. Oh yeah. So I would, <laughs> you so gotta I would be do flashing this, that, right? I would do this douchey thing where I, I keep 10,000 in my front right pocket. You know, every night when I got home, if I had anything that wasn't a hundred dollar bill, I'd throw it in a box. No and just, that's how I save money. So then I would keep 10000 in my – I usually wear cargo shorts, so I'd have like a brick of like 40000 in each bottom pocket, just all rubber branded up, and then I'd keep ten in my – you know, I try to keep everything in like chips and right. uh, and tickets because if someone jacked me, then they couldn't really cash the tickets because they could trace them back to me. So, you know, right. I, didn't try, I wouldn't try to carry that much cash, but I would have 10000 in my front right pocket, and then – so I'd pull it out, and chicks would just go crazy, you know, and <laughs> – and uh, even if I was like at Arby's or something, I'd pull out. They'd be like, I'd order my food, and they'd be like, that's like eleven dollars. I'd hand them a hundred dollars, and they'd be like, Well, we can't break a hundred. And I would just be like, It's all I have, and I would just fan out this wad of money, and people would just be like, So then chicks would be like, uh, Oh my God, how much money do you have? And I'd and I'd always tell them, If you can guess within a hundred dollars, I'll give you this whole wad of money. But chicks didn't really know how much money. They you can't know, count like that. anyone like, doesn't really know, no. so they you they would be like, I don't know, yeah, maybe yeah. like seven hundred and forty three dollars, <laughs> and I'd hand them this wad of money, and by the time they got to like three thousand, they're just like, just staring at me like a god. So then I'd be like, <laughs> you know what? Let me take you out to dinner. So then I would say, you know, and girls, I'd say, where do you want to eat? And they think I don't know. I go, I'll take you wherever you want. Pick. So then they pick where they wanted, and I could usually get a comp. So. I had it down to a science, so then I would go to dinner, get it all free, and all the drinks would be free. And then, so then we'd just drink at the bar for free, <laughs> and then we'd be wasted. And then I'd be like, "Hey, I don't know what you want to do. If you want to, you know, just get cabs and we can cab back tomorrow or something. Or I mean, I get free hotel rooms here if you. We can just stay the night if you want. It's no big deal. And then after having like an expensive dinner and drinks and seeing that wad of money, they were just like, "Yes, yes, hotel right now." <laughs> Then I'd go have, you know, and then I'd give them disappointing sex, and then, uh, and then that would, then the next day it'd be a different, not the next day it'd be a different girl, but a lot of times, you know, a lot of times I had a girlfriend for a long time, but, uh, right. it was weird the confidence I had, uh, because just when you carry that much money, you just, it kind of created, I don't think I ever, I mean, that was a little douchey, the, obviously that story, but I was only like 23, but I wasn't really a dick about it, but man, I had a lot of confidence just because, People would talk down to me, and I'd pull out that wad of money, and then they just changed. You know, people oh, seeing a big not? stack yeah. of cash, people are just like, 
you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. It was a cool, it was a cool <laughs> feeling, man. Now as a broke comic, I have like $10 in my pocket. It sucks. I just dream of the days when I could always pull out $10 and be like. <laughs> how, how hard, did, like, how hard was it though back then? Not like, were you making side bets on, on your own? I mean, like if you knew. Oh yeah, yeah. So I was making, a, I was making a ton of money because, you know, you would just figure it out. Right. So I, I had the wad of money. All, I carried the money with me at all times so I could do shit. I could bet off of it. So, like, right. if they called me, I you could always tell by the urgency. Or if they had me sneaking around at night, then I knew something big was up. So then I would bet it for them for 5000 and then I'd bet it for me for 500 you know. And right. then, you know, they didn't always win. And then sometimes that got me in trouble in my figure. But, uh, no, there was – and I made a lot of money just – to do it, you know, I think I was getting like a thousand a week cash. And then by that time I, we lived in a house. Uh, well they worked out of a house, but then I paid everything I did. I lived in the house and then they would come there and work there. Right. So they paid the rent, all the utilities, all the food. So I, I literally just had to watch over this house we worked out of. So I had no expenses and I was making a ton of money. And then, you know, I was just blowing a ton of money cause it was like, I didn't realize, like I said, I was just a kid from Wyoming. I never had that much money, so I would just buy, and I just, you know, would buy stuff for other people. I, I like to be. It's easy to be generous when you're rich. Oh, <laughs> so I, you know, and I just never thought it would end. So I had no problem picking up every tab, or you know, because oh, yeah. when I was with my bosses, they'd pick up every tab, and then I just thought my boss was so cool then I would just do the exact same thing on a smaller level. So, cause that's like a Vegas thing. If you go out, whoever right. has the most money is just, you don't expect it to pick up the tab, but that's, and it just feels good to pick up tabs and buy people stuff. Man. Oh, does it ever, man? I got, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty. Of, I mean, I've ran in those types of circles where, you know, hanging out with people who are making incredible amounts of money. And because you're there with your girlfriend, you know, you walk out of a, you're handing twenties to homeless guys and shit and you're yeah. like tipping big butt. You know what I mean? You're yeah. Like feeling like yeah. You're, uh, it's cool to be a big shot. Even it is, man. A douchey, but it, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was a, it was just a crazy, you know, just to come because literally when I, I, I moved to Vegas, I, I was coaching before that. I was, I so I did not move. Actually, the first time in Vegas, I left for a little bit, and then before I came back and got this gambling job, but I was coaching uh, junior high or uh, like girls JV basketball in this town of like 115 people in right. Chugwater, Wyoming. So <laughs> the transition is just, it was just a crazy. Vegas is a crazy place. So. Damn, man. So, so, I, I, obviously, you've got a you you've got a badass Twitter, man. Your profile picture is uh, it's a very uh, youthful, very sexy looking Mike Tyson with a white Bengal tiger. Uh, was that the property that uh, that you ended up hanging out at? Yeah. Uh, no, you know, I don't know where that one came from, but that's a funny story. Is that so? Just what we were talking about when I had all that money. I was fearless, and uh, so when I came to, I moved to Vegas from, you know, Wyoming. I never, you never see any celebrities, and so where I lived was right by Mike Tyson's house. I'd drive by Mike Tyson's house every single day, right. and he had this big black security guard out there, just with like camo fucking cargo pants, a black shirt. He'd just mean mug me every day, <laughs> and I would drive by every day, just gonna want to see Mike. I don't even know why I thought Mike would be like out mowing his lawn or some shit, but I never saw Mike. And then one day he wasn't there, and then the next day he wasn't there, and I kept driving by. Then one day there was like a for sale sign in the front yard, so I was like, holy shit, I'm gonna jump this wall 
and then go see what Mike Tyson's house is like. And then if anybody like sweats me, I have all this money in my pocket. I'll just pull it out and pretend like I'm interested in buying the house. Right. It's a dumbass plan, but <laughs> at the time I thought it was genius. So I jumped this wall. I go to the back door. I fuck with it a little bit. I get in Mike Tyson's house and I'm in Mike Tyson's house, but I hear this beeping and I freak out because I think it's the security. So I, I run out of the house, I go home, I tell my bus friend Justin, I go, yo, I, I was in Tyson's house today, it was crazy, and then I went to bed that night, and I was laying in my bed, and I heard the same beeping, and I realized it was, uh, you know, like when your fire alarm's like dead. Oh, yeah, like the batteries are dying or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I woke up, I told my best friend Jay that, I go, we gotta, so we went to, so the next day we went over in the day, and this is so long ago, it was like, uh, so we bought some disposable cameras. <laughs> right. And we jump the wall, we go in, we're in Mike Tyson's house. There's two mansions right by each other. I mean, there's the tiger cages, and there's a basketball hoop. There's a pool, grotto, all kinds of cool. I mean, it's a huge property, and there's these huge-ass walls. So once you're in, you felt pretty safe. So we go inside, and but everything's, like, gone. There's, like, a grand piano, and there's, like... All the, the he has these walls that are painted with all the great fighters and like Customato oh, and Muhammad Ali and everybody, but we're in his house and we're like, well shit, we're in Mike Tyson's house. We got to steal something to prove we were like in Mike Tyson's house. <laughs> right. So we go through these two mansions because there's two mansions right next to each other, but the one's kind of gutted, and then the the real one that he lived in was there. So we go through every drawer and everything, and we, you know, like there was a Mercedes in the car, so we we got the title to his Mercedes, and we. <laughs> We got like, but there was nothing like really good, you know. We got some Versace pillows, but at the uh, so then at the end of the day, we're in this TV room and and there's a this beautiful couch and there's like an ottoman and it has a Versace symbol on the top of it. Right. And I tell my boy, I go, yo, that's Versace. We could take this ottoman. It's probably worth like a couple thousand dollars or something. And Justin's like, you don't. How do you know it's Versace? You don't know if it's Versace. I go, I swear to God, I know that logo and. So I go over and I lift up the ottoman to, to try to find a tag on the bottom. Right. And when I do that, this VHS tape falls out of the ottoman. Like, it's hidden up in there. No shit. Me and my boy look at each other like, holy shit, man. We just found a videotape. You know, in our heads, we're like, a hidden tape in Mike Tyson's house? This is going to be, like, crazy. Like, <laughs> sex tape or something crazy. We're going to be so rich. We grab that tape and we run home as fast as we can and we find a VCR and we plug it in and we're like, we're going to be so rich. And obviously I'm not rich, so you know there's nothing on it. It was just him... Uh, <laughs> It's just him and like Z Cavarucci jeans up to his belly button with no shirt on, making a video game, talking about how he hates white people for like ten minutes. So it has no. It's like every Mike Tyson interview ever. <laughs> it's like the routine. So, Mike but Tyson for the rest thing. of yeah, but for the rest of the summer, we would take girls oh. uh, to his house and just you know go bring a bunch of beer and then just swim in his pool and the slide the slide the. The, you know, the water wasn't on, but you could just run down the slide and jump in the pool. Yeah, and he's the like grotto. grotto and shit, right? Yeah, and it's so nice in Vegas in the summer, the pool, you know, it, no one was there. It wasn't heated or anything, but it was so hot. You could just, but it was just hard to to get girls to be like, no, trust me, we're going at Mike Tyson's house and he's not going to be in there. There's no tigers or anything. <laughs> so do you that know, used like to the be original, famous, like, Zach Galifianakis? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, so that used to be a famous story that everyone used to always ask me about, and then The Hangover came out, and now people are like, oh, really? You're a fat-bearded comedian that broke into Mike Tyson? <laughs> really, dude? So I don't, I rarely even tell the story anymore. I mean, oh, I'm, I wrote God. it into my one-man show where, because I can actually show the video and show the, 
the uh, Mike Tyson thing, and and it's there's a weird tie to it because what made me want to do comedy is my boss at the time. So after my first boss, I, it, it didn't work out. And I had to start working for this other boss, and he was a weird fucking dude. He was like this sixty year old Jewish dude from. Brooklyn. He looked like Howard Stern, like a retarded Howard Stern. <laughs> and uh but he loved like punk music. So he would make me he would tell me I'd have to go to this kind of stuff where he, I I couldn't work for him anymore. And at this point I needed a job because things had changed from the first job. This was a way different job right. and I wasn't making as much money and I blew all my money, so he'd make me go to like these punk concerts and it'd be like all these eighteen year olds and then me and this old Jewish dude that just looked like his like his gay boy toy or something. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> And then one time he was like, we got to go to, we're going to L.A. to see my favorite band. And I'm like, I'm not driving you to L.A. I don't want to do it. And he's like, there's a comedian before. You're, you're going to love him. He's my favorite. And I'm like, you don't know anything about, you like wrestling and hamsters and shit. I'm sure whatever comic you like is awful. And he pretty much made me go to this show in L.A. Right. as much as I didn't want to go. And I went, and of course... Uh, the opener was that Galifianakis before he was famous no or anything, way. and I I saw him and I drove back from L.A. drove back to L.A. that night, and yeah. uh, just couldn't stop thinking about all his jokes and stuff. And then I was like, that that's kind of what propelled me to really go for it, you know, because I'd been talking about doing it and doing it. And then I saw him that night, and I was like, oh, he was so good. Right. And then literally probably like not not long, maybe a month later, then I did finally get up the first time. So and then in some weird way, you know, eight years later he makes the hangover and becomes super famous. So I want to tell him the story one day, but I've, I always, I've been around him a couple of times, but I get scared. But I want to tell him he changed my life. Oh my God, man. Well, like you perform with some like amazing people. I mean, you've, you've worked with people like Doug Stanhope, uh, Doug Benson, uh, Aziz Ansari, uh, Burt Kreischer. Is there any, do you ever have a drive to like get into like sitcom writing or, 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 you know, like TV or any of that type of stuff? Yeah, I mean, I would. I, I don't think I'd be. A, I'm not a very good actor. Like only acting I ever get to play is like a homeless dude because I usually have a big beard. So anytime someone needs like a dirty homeless dude, they'll call me up. Like, hey, Brent, you want to lay on the side of the street and we'll film someone kick you and throw a quarter at you? Like, oh. so I don't know. I mean, my main goal right now is uh, I got the one man show because the one man show uh, is all the Vegas stories that everyone wants to hear, like that Tyson one, and then. Right. There's a crazy story about when I tried to kill my dad and a bunch of like stuff that's a little too dark for uh, the comedy club stages. So I'm working on like a book and a one man show where I could tell more of the you know kind of darker stuff because it, it it's a little dark, but it's fine with me. You know I'm over it, but sometimes the audiences you know like I've tried to do it on stage a little bit and and women are always like you know, that motherly instinct, they'll come up to me after and just be like, I, I feel so bad for you. I'm so sorry. I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's no big deal, man. But So I'm really working on that one-man show in the book. And then, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't mind making my life into a TV show because I think it could be like uh, Entourage and Breaking Bad combined, maybe just because a lot of bad, there's a lot of like shady people in this gambling world. But, so I pitched that a little bit, but I don't know. Right, right. <laughs> I'm just trying to survive, man. I love performing, and uh, so I'm just trying to survive. Whatever they pay me, I do. <laughs> Except wherever the money is, man. Tell yeah. me about the podcast, man. It's a brilliant. It's a brilliant podcast. It's called Thirty One. Yeah. So my, you know, I'm, I I feel like the podcasts, are, you know, they were really taking off, and every comedian I really liked or was doing good, 
had a good podcast, so I spent months and months thinking about it because I didn't want to just do a another podcast where comedians are like, you know, what's your worst gig? Well, do you hate airport food or whatever? You know, <laughs> so I thought about it forever, and then I came up with the the thirty one. So my show is I uh, have you know a guest each week, and then I ask them twenty five of the same. Each guest gets the t- same twenty five questions, and then five uh, unique questions for them, and then one Twitter fan question. So right. It's, and, it's, and I worked on the questions for months. You know, I would have people over and I would run questions by them and then they'd be like, that's a great question or get rid of that. And then uh, I'm very proud of it because I, I think I've kind of, it, it became a formula kind of because, you know, some of the questions up front are easy, like what's your go-to karaoke song or right. what was your favorite toy as a child? And then they start to loosen up. And then when I get in the middle, I ask them stuff like, you know, who do you owe an apology to? who do you miss the most? You know, what's the weirdest thing your uncle's ever done? So those questions, (laughs) I think I've kind of got it set up. So they become vulnerable in the middle of the podcast and they tell these incredible stories. So, uh, I just am very proud of it because I think, uh, I really, you know, and, and, and my guests are always great because it's all about them. And most of the people are, you know, kind of comedians or I've had porn stars or athletes or singers in there mostly very uh they just like talking about themselves so yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) well that's i mean like you yeah you've had some fucking badass names man you had like uh ari shafir uh yeah ari's great tom shore tom uh segura which is burke kreischer isis taylor that oh wow man jesus criminy that's uh, yeah so memories i I think it's uh i'm very proud of it because i think it's uh you get to actually know uh, know the person, you know. Yeah. Instead of just hearing about comedy or porn or whatever, you, I try to get them to, uh, you know, really, and then the fans seem to love it because then they they actually like the people. And I try to get really interesting guests too because yeah. people are always like, well, I want to put this person on. And I go, no, I'm not. I am very proud of my brand. I want cool people. You right, know, I, I think right. the fans expect some crazy. I want. I like crazy shit, man. I want to hear. You know, because I'm doing, like, uh, a guy named Carl LeBeau today mm-hmm. who was uh, Sam Kennison's best friend and, and oh, no was shit. on the road with him. So he's going to have stories that are just going <laughs> to blow people's minds, you know. <laughs> that's, oh, man, that's got to be – yeah, it's going to be a, a badass episode. How do you find your comedy, though? Like, are you, are you more of an observational comic? Because, I mean, a lot of the stuff that you talk about – like, I remember that one you did about Mexican soccer, man. It was just like, it was fucking brilliant. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like, are you, is it like more, because obviously you're a very gifted raconteur. You're a very good storyteller. Is your comedy, do you find, as do you write it as you go along, or is it more experience-based comedy? Well, I used to, I wrote it in the beginning, just joke jokes, because right. I, I loved Mitch Hedberg, and uh and now I'm, I think I'm growing into, now I'm trying to tell more stories about my life. Like, I, I tell... Now I tell, uh, you know, I tell a couple jokes right out of the gate, and now I, the, the last couple of nights I've told like three stories. Right. So I'm trying to tell more stories because then that's more unique, and then I want the crowd to like me, you know, and and uh, if you, I, I think some of the people I look up to have told me like, so if there's like a hundred people in there, you only need like thirty of them to actually like you, but those thirty people are going to like you forever, and then right. they have. You know, I, I tell a story now about when I took a roulette ball out of the wheel and I threw it at pit boss and I got arrested. But <laughs> now you can easily just go, 
you could look up roulette wheel arrested or something. My name will come right up in the video. Are you, so then people, are you, you know, <laughs> instead of like a joke, yeah. if I have like a cat food joke or something or like, right. People will be like, I saw this comedian. I can't remember his name, but he told this incredible story about this, this or this instead of like, we went and saw this comic and he had a lot of funny jokes. Like, he had this goldfish joke or something, but you don't connect, right, you know? Right. I'm trying to get loyalty instead of numbers because I, because what I'm doing is I'm done with comedy clubs. This will be like my last week, mm-hmm. and I've just put together a tour, like a 60 city tour, and I'm yeah. just doing it all myself. That's and crazy. And I'm filming the whole thing. Uh, I have two pairs of glasses that film out of like the middle part, and then like uh, four GoPros, and right. I'm just going 60 cities and like. 70 days just pretty much a, a new city every day doing a show at, at a bar or something or wherever right. cool place I can find filming the whole thing and then I'll put the whole thing out on uh, YouTube or, or try to sell it to Netflix or HBO <laughs> right. but I'm trying to get people you know because you just need fans because these comedy clubs they just take advantage of you and treat you like shit because right. so you got to flip it where you're the draw so that if I can you know call someone if a comedy club knows I can bring like 200 people then I can charge them you know for example I, I worked with a pretty famous comic not too long ago in, in in Tacoma and I was doing 30 minutes for five shows and they paid me 450 bucks and I had to yeah. argue forever to get a hotel room for the weekend and oh, then they tried to charge me for my food on the way out Damn. but the headliner did those five shows and he did like 45 to 50 minutes a night and I think he got 27000 Holy shit. So the difference is, like, Fuck, man. I want to go back to having money in my pocket so I can go back to getting laid real easy. So <laughs> I'm trying to flip the game and just kind of do it myself, like a Macklemore or something. some of these artists that, you know, I'm just trying to get out there and build. And the, I, the my podcast fans are great, so a lot of times people hit me up and be like, hey, we want to see you, but you're not coming anywhere near my town. And I right. go, well... I'm coming to your town. Give me a bar, a venue. Yeah. Let me just do a show, you know, and, and the fans will help, you know, they're like, we'll, we'll try to get some people out. And then, you know, I just go there and then, uh, I do a show however I want. I usually charge 10 bucks at the door right. and I tell the bar, they get to keep the bar. I get the door. They have no risk. And then, uh, I put on a great show and then, you know, hopefully I have fans that, uh, will roll with me forever. And plus, I'm just good to, you know, I just appreciate anyone that likes my podcast or anything. It's, it's, uh, it's flattering. So I've yeah. made a real connect. I mean, I give my phone number to fans and they're like, I can't believe you gave me my phone number. I'm not going <laughs> to bother you. I'm like, you can call me whenever I don't, I'm laying in a hotel room all day. Like, or if I tell a story on a podcast, you know, and you, sometimes people won't say who's on it. I go, right. just text me. I'll tell you. And then, so I'm just trying to build, you know, People, I just need people to believe in me, and then, uh, or you know, if, if someone likes me, that's what I'm just trying to get more people to like me, because then that that's the, the key is being able to draw, and and that's why I'm doing everything online, because like, screw it, I, I mean, I haven't got to perform in Canada yet, and I heard the Canadian fans are the best, but oh man, yeah, yeah. I, in the meantime, eventually, and and when I'm done with this tour, everyone in Canada, in Canada will be able to see me. And they can watch, you know, 60 episodes of me on the road, and then they can decide if they like me or they don't. But then if they like me, then when I do come to Canada, then they'll come out and then, uh, you know, they'll feel like they know me and they can we can hang out. And then yeah, man, I, that's, that's, just, uh... that's the goal. I don't know if it's going to work, but I just can't keep doing these comedy clubs. I mean, 
getting paid. You know, if I have 50 people come see me and they pay me 150 bucks, it's like, that's, if I charge $10 in my room, I could get 50 people to show up and no, make exactly. 500. So. Exactly. Yeah, dude, I know. I mean, you come over here, man, you would kill it. Like, I moved up here from Texas about three months ago, and uh, they're doing, like, a little amateur night here on the 26th. I'm going to go up and just do, like, a five-minute spot. But, but I mean, that shit's, like, it sells out before. And the guy that's yeah. promoting it is, like, you know, he just, he's like, all right, man, hey, like, I'll bring these comics in. I'll take the door. You guys keep the bar. You know, same exact formula. And, I mean, this guy's walking away with, like, eight or nine grand a night. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I've heard. The Canadian fans are incredible, and they buy all the merch. And so oh, yeah. it's just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. so I'm just trying to, you know, I'm just like, I'm just gonna do it on my own, man, and just, just screw it, just go for it. And yeah. then if it doesn't work, it it doesn't work. But oh, and it's man. it's amazing the, the the fans that I have, and I'm not famous by any means, but the ones I have are super loyal, and they're gonna, you know, they really want me to do good, which I I'm just so lucky to have, you yeah, know, dude. yeah cool people no absolutely man i think you're well on your way and if and if like i said man if there's anything i can do on this end as far as bringing you up to canada i'd love for people to see your comedy over here and uh yeah man i'd love to get be up great, there man sure. that, yeah it'd be awesome you can find brant tobler on twitter at uh, at brant tobler and we're going to put the links up and of course he's, he's got a badass website branttobler.com and uh hey man best of luck on this tour and Thank and you. i'm Dude, it's an honor having you on the show, man. Ah, thanks so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I was looking forward to it all day, man. Yep. All right, folks, and there you have it, Mr. Brant Tobler. A little abrupt ending there to the interview just because, you know, I had my... Anyway, I had commercials running and shit. Uh, hey, thanks for tuning in. Great episode. I'm glad I got to share that with you. Brand Tobler, seriously funny guy. Check him out. And huge thanks to you guys for, for listening to the show. You know, it's a huge honor when I'm out at a at a show and someone actually comes up to me and says, uh, oh, hey, yeah, you're that guy that hosts the, the comedy podcast, man. It's really good. I really enjoy watching it. Or I started listening to you or whatever. I've gotten a few of those lately. And I just... Uh, yeah, it's great. I mean, keep it up. Keep listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. On behalf of myself, Jake Hirsch, uh, the entire crew here at Yuck Yucks, Mr. Mark Breslin, executive producer Kira Williams, and of course our web master Camille Sorovi, and of course, I cannot forget my boy Lane Argue, laying down the acoustic tracks for this dynamite show. Thank you, sir. Check out his work in the link. There is a link to him. Check him out. Lane Argue. All right, folks. Great shoes. Great yeah, I got great shoes coming too. Great shows and shoes coming. Stay tuned. We will see you next week. <laughs>